Welcome everyone to the in-house roundhouse where in-house counsel, outside counsel and industry experts gather around to discuss current issues and best practices. I'm your host, Mark Enriquez, a commercial litigator with Womble Bond Dickinson. With me as always is my producer, Brian Ewing. Today's episode is part of Womble's Doing Well by Doing Good campaign, which explores how the private sector is making positive impact on environmental, social, and corporate governance issues, part of their business strategies. A company that's taken huge leaps forward in this regard is Truist Financial Corporation. Truist is the sixth largest commercial bank in the United States. The total U.S. assets over $5 billion, $500 billion, uh, more than 2,700 branches across 15 states. In March, so just a couple months ago, Truist issued its first social bond of $1.25 billion as part of the company's ESG strategy. Um, these proceeds are going to support new and existing social programs, investments in affordable housing, and enhancements to nonprofits in the community in need. We're lucky here today to have uh, three folks from Truist that help make that bond a reality. Tori Kaplan, Augie Hismilo, and Tony Weekly are here, as well as Vanessa Morris from Womble, who's worked on uh, similar financing progress uh, projects for Truist and other financial institutions. Really excited to have all of you with me today. Um, let's start uh, maybe with, uh, with an overview at, at a basic level of what is a social bond. You know, some of our audience may not be familiar with that process. Uh, so can, can we get a, an overview of, of that? And why don't Tori, you want why don't you start, Tori, and give us just a little context for what the what the social bond is. Well, um, I'm actually going to pivot to my colleague Augie because he is um, the financial mind on the call, um, and I'll pick up on the social aspect with Anthony if that's okay with you. That's perfect. Thanks. You know, go go ahead, Augie. T tell us a little bit about what a what a social bond is and how it works. Yeah. Hey, hey, Mark and uh, Womble Carly team, and and on behalf of, of Truist, you know, thank you for for giving us this chance to to share a successful story for for Truist and and kind of showing the one team efforts. So, so a social bond is just a type of an ESG bond, and ESG stands for Environmental, Social, uh, and Governance. So we've seen um, banks, peer banks like PNC, issue a green bond and JPM, and then other people, particularly in 2020. Uh, and heading into 2021, have really ramped up social, uh, socially driven uh, issuance. So social bonds are just dedicated to kind of initiatives that address low to moderate income communities, affordable housing, um, access to, let's say, essential infrastructure like healthcare and and uh, utilities. So those are the types of of kind of social tilt of the bonds and. An ESG bond, you know, inherently speaking, you know, the, the goal of the issuer and the investor on the buy side buying these bonds is they want the proceeds not just for general corporate purposes, but to actually hit uh, these target uh, communities and initiatives. So high level, um, that's kind of what a social bond is. It's a component of the ESG uh, space. Great. Thanks, Augie. That's helpful. Um, I'm interested in the background about how Truist came to decide to to do this. Is that, um, and I don't know if that's, uh, if, if uh, Tony, you want to talk a little bit about that or Tori about the, the decision to do a social bond for Truist? Well, I can take a first stab at that question. Um, I think part of where Truist found itself in the midst of the merger 
and the pandemic. Um, and as a third sort of component, what we've seen is the highest sort of level of ESG activity ever as part of our efforts to sort of inventory where our heritage banks were on the ESG journey and put our best foot forward early in our acceleration efforts. That bond um, was a great opportunity to do that. Um, and in this moment of time when there's so much need across our country uh, for things that the bond will cover. And so uh, the pandemic did uh, accentuate that and put uh, a lot of emphasis on some of those challenges that were already there, um, but they became much more profound. And so both, if you think about it from the conversion of our uh, desire to step our, our ESG game and um, meet needs that are real and exist across, across our country. Tony, can you speak a little bit to the uh, to the process? How long did this process take, and kind of what was involved for the for the bank to put this together? I would say Augie's probably going to be a better person to answer that question. Yeah, th- thanks, Anthony. So it was very quick, Mark. I mean, for lack of a better word, huh? and, and Tori can can vouch for this because there were many uh, elite meetings. Um, normally, there's a, there's at least maybe a six month runway for. For companies, you know, maybe 12 to even 24 months for for companies to issue uh, an ESG type bond. Uh, but because of, and this is not just to to highlight Truist's kind of DNA and corporate DNA. I, I want Tori and Anthony to speak to it because we had such a strong uh, CRA through our Truist Community Capital, and and Tori can speak on this. But you know, heading into the merger, we made a 60 billion dollar community benefits plan commitment. We really had a, a robust and very experienced and seasoned teams that can help support the social bond. You know, we only did this maybe a, on like a 60-day turn, um, really shorter than that. That's amazing. Um, we, developed the, we developed the framework. Um, but again, it's kudos to Anthony's team and, and his prior predecessor, Sharon Jeffries-Jones in the CRA. They had really good kind of support and how we can track these assets. Because um, at the end of the day... We were not going to print the bond unless we felt good from a risk control framework, from a compliance and legal perspective, that there were eligible assets, right, to support the bonds. So I, I will let Tori and Anthony speak on it. But but timeline, Truist did it in a shorter timeline than normal. But we were very fortunate. We have a very um, kind of this is in our DNA. We've been driven by community based initiatives for a very long time for board heritage shops. No, that's impressive. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Anthony. So, so Mark, when you think about our purpose, which is to inspire and build better lives in communities, right? You know, investing in our, our communities is the cornerstone of who we are from a truest perspective. You look at what we did from a CRA rating perspective. For example, year 2017, 2018, 2019, we got an outstanding for investing in our communities. And then you look at what we did with the merger, the $60 billion commitment, which was the largest uh, since the Great Recession, right? And that was $31 billion in uh, mortgages, uh, and it targeted uh, certain clients and segments. That was $7.8 billion for lending uh, to small businesses uh, to support growth, $17.2 billion in community development lending and support, and then $3.6 billion qualified CRA investments and philanthropic work. And so you look at why we did this social bond, I just explained to you why we did it, because it's who we are, and we care about the communities that we serve. Yeah. I, th- I think that's terrific. Vanessa, let me bring you into the conversation. I know you've worked with, you know, with various institutions. Is this a trend you're seeing as you work across clients, this idea of you know, doing more 
uh, bonds that have a ESG component to them? Well, I think Truist has really come out of the park here and, you know, has started a, maybe a trend, but um, I haven't really seen a whole lot um, just as of yet, but excited to see, you know, how you're inspiring others and, um, you know, just really um, fantastic work. I mean, the, the fact that you did it in 60 days is just phenomenal. Kudos to all of you and everyone at Truist for this amazing work. Thank you. And it is pretty remarkable. And I know, I mean, $1.25 billion is a lot of money. Were you concerned about whether, you know, you get full subscription on the bond? Because I gather you actually were over-oversubscribed, but that has to be a, an anxiety point for, for the bank. Augie? Mark, it was actually, it was, it was very, um, it was, we weren't surprised with the reception. Um, we knew we were, you know, Truist is a very, we call it an opportunistic issuer in the marketplace. We don't hammer, we don't issue every quarter. And we hadn't issued in July, but what we didn't want to, you know, ignore and sharing with Tori and, and Anthony internally and our EL team, you know, the day we issued February 25th, so the bond settled in March, you know, the day we issued in February 25th, it was a very volatile market. And um, there were a couple other issuers, but it was supported by that social bond tilt and then the truest brand name. So it was really a good reflection of not, not just the brand, but but really the, the teammates that, that work exhaustively every day that were nameless before, but now we know them by name, um, you know, supporting, supporting the bond. I think that's fantastic. Uh, Tori and Anthony, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about the type of projects that would qualify for this funding and, and kind of what that plan is in terms of the impact of this bond. You want to start, Anthony, and then to have Tori chime in? Sure. When you look at what our pillars are uh, from a um, foundation perspective, right? There's there's four, and it's actually going to to um, uh, two uh, by the end of this year. And so, you know, leadership which empowers communities and leaders uh, and supports high quality lifelong learning that is affordable and accessible. Economic mobility and small businesses, you know, support scalable programs that build career pathways to economic mobility and strengthen small businesses. Uh, Educational equity, which is a large one, right? Uh, the development of educational learning platforms aimed at eradicating literacy gaps and conditions across our country, and then thriving communities. You know, we support innovative community development efforts, which develop and maintain affordable housing, uh, create healthy communities, and, and stimulate income equity. And then when you look at those pillars, and you think about affordable housing and access to affordable housing, and you think about funding um, infrastructure in our cities that are struggling and providing, you know, some of the safety net things that sometimes, quite frankly, get taken for granted. But um, that access to uh, more affordable solutions is a really critical component, not only of our, you know, CRA work, but again, um, you know, both Augie and, and Anthony have hit on this. It's it's really, um, you know, at the at the pinnacle of our purpose. And so the the infrastructure, if you will, that was um, underpinning the bond issuance is really rooted um, in those things. And uh, would say as well. Part of our efforts were to connect to uh, best practices there where uh, we tugged on the uh, sustainable development goals as a part of that eligibility criteria and looking at what asset classes we wanted to pull into this um, issuance. 
That's that's interesting. Is there um, are there reporting requirements that go with it for folks, you know, that, that set out a program and say they're going to, for example, do sustainable development? Do they have to report on that? Is it monitored? How do you do how do you do that piece? Well, um, yes, there is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think Regular. you can't really say ESG anymore and not imply reporting. Um, so, uh, and, and Augie, uh, uh, it can chime on in on this as well um, as part of a best practice. Yes. And um, with an eye towards transparency, uh, we will be issuing a community impact report relative to this issuance about a year out. And so uh, there are, you know, many ways to go about that. But certainly one of the things that, you know, when we think about ESG, um, you know, in principle, we want to make sure that our reporting exercises aren't just saying, hey, you know, here's what we did aren't we great but really to show how lives were changed in the process and so uh that will be the sort of theme for our issuance of a, a report which will come out next year and you know augie can talk a little bit more about that process and how we developed the framework um uh because that was a very thoughtful exercise in that 60 days while we were actually trying to figure it all out. So, Augie, maybe you want to talk a little bit about the, you know, ICMA standards and things like that um, that shaped our framework design. Yeah, that's correct. And thanks, Tori. So part of the framework that, that Tori notes um, that we had to prepare, it really uh, is built on on four pillars. And, and that's the, the use of proceeds, you know, the selection of projects, um, the management of proceeds and the last the last pillar is reporting to to Tori's point. So we had to define uh, be as as flexible and broad based as possible. But uh, ESG investors want specific you know standards. You know they want to know where their money is going to go. So uh, we wanted flexibility from an issuer standpoint, but then be prescriptive enough that investors are willing to, to buy our bonds. So reporting will be key. You know, the thing that the, the industry, the ESG industry still needs to, the, the, the opportunity, right, for, for the ESG industries, there's no standardized kind of reporting or, or standardization yet. There's, there's the U.S. taxonomy and there's the EU taxonomy. You know, some issuers follow U.N. sustainable goals. Others don't. So as money flows and capital flows and, and investors become more aware of these standards, then hopefully there's a convergence, um, you know, but right now we, we wanted to meet kind of truest standards and, and we did use UN uh, Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs, um, and Tory's team was, was critical um, in kind of reviewing our language. Uh, but yeah, reporting, we wanted to leverage our existing relationship with our external auditor as well. So they will review kind of our controls of what we're going to report, but um, but yeah, it's really leveraging our, our risk control framework within the CRA team and Anthony's team and, and Tory's corporate social responsibility team and then and then our group, corporate treasury and finance. I think that's great. And I'll remind our listeners, if you're not familiar with the UN goals, Pam Cohn, our keynote speaker for this series, talked a lot about those UN goals and went through each of them and talked about how companies may want to prioritize. So it is a good place to start. You're right. It's a confusing landscape with a variety of different standards from SASB to other stuff. And depending on your context, are you focused on SEC reporting or are you focused on investor groups and different demands? It's, it's a, it is a real challenge when you're trying to figure out what to use um, to measure. Let, let me ask, you talked about the reporting. 
is it a separate team at Truist that's doing that tracking and reporting? I imagine that's, again, you put everything together in 60 days. That's got to be an added challenge that you don't necessarily have, at least to that degree, with more traditional uh, financial instruments. I'm laughing. Hopefully it came across the sound because as Tori knows, we're, we're a one-stop shop. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to cover reporting too. So, you know, Tori's, Tori's team will be in hand with corporate treasury. We're monitoring the assets now. With an Anthony's team, I want to single out, you know, Heidi Schnuver and, and Suzanne, th- those teammates, they help us track it. And then we have a, a data team that pulls kind of the loans by by note number. We, we drill down to the loan, to the specific loans. Um, we want to be prudent with the investor proceeds and, and we want to be good stewards of the capital. So we are we are drilling down all the way to the loan and, and note number and tracking it accordingly. And Mark, I would say we are a, a very regulated industry, and so uh, everything we do from a regulatory perspective, uh, there's a, a data validation process that we go through. Uh, and so we are, are in tune with the, the rigorous way we need to track and validate information. Gotcha. I'm curious about things like term and interest rate. Do these, do they, are they comparable to what you might see in a traditional private sector loan or are they, are they, is it structured a little differently given the nature of the folks that are, that are borrowing the money? I just, I, I just don't know. And maybe it varies a lot within the big bond itself, but I, I, I was just wondering, and it may not be easy to generalize, but I just, if we've got listeners that are potentially thinking they could apply for ESG financing, I'm wondering how the, you know, what the, what the kind of terms are typical. Yeah. G- great question. It, it varies. Um, and, and again, we're, novices when it comes to this, right? We're first and, and we had to learn a lot. I want Tori to speak because she came from the utility space before financial services industry. You know, what we found, or at least what I've personally seen, you know, green bonds tend to be longer for utility issuers because, you know, their assets are longer. You know, when in the bank space, in the financial industries, you know, you tend to look at, at five-year tenors. Um, look, the, the key is you have to make a commitment for all of those years. So, for us to issue a five-year bond, you know, it was a six, no call five, but it's really staying there for at least five years. We are committed to those five years, but but bond or not, right? And, and Tori and Anthony highlighted this in the beginning, we're, we're committed to the social community space. So we, we want to tap that market again someday if we, if we have eligible assets. It just varies on, on the underlying assets. If you have longer dated assets, you, you can go longer than five years, but but banks typically look in that five-year tenor. Gotcha. Thanks. That's helpful. I am. You mentioned future assets. I'm wondering. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of reporting and tracking on this project. Is there? What's next? Is do you think that you know? Do you think other financial institutions will follow your lead? Do you see doing another sustainability bond in the future? Where can you give us a preview of what the thinking is there at Truist on that front? I think we, you know, one important thing to note when we designed the framework was with that in mind. And so while we don't have a target date today, uh, we did create an ESG framework that would 
position us to be able to flex as between all of those different um, elements. And so we have the ability due to the way we've created things to, you know, exercise and issue a, a future bond of some distinction. So I think we're working on, I would say, galvanizing um, and cementing a lot of our ESG practices moving forward. So it's reasonable to think um, in this universe where we're all talking about climate change very regularly, um, that our renewable energy investments um, are only going to increase. And so uh, we're keeping a, an eye on that and, and looking at those future opportunities uh, where we can continue down the social path, but, but as well venture into some other territories in addition. That's great. It, it, we may have listeners that have you know, flirted with the idea of doing something, perhaps not on the scale that Truist did, and are probably also, you know, impressed by the 60-day timetable. I'd love it if we could, you talked a little bit about developing the framework. Do you have some practical tips that you would offer if we've got an in-house council that says, we want to try to do something similar and develop a framework around the best way to do that, particularly on the kind of timetable you guys did? Let me, let me start um, with you, Augie, but yeah, and then Tori can uh, chime in. Yeah, I'll, I wanted to jump in because I, I compliment Tori and, and Anthony's team. Uh, as, as a member and on behalf of Corporate Treasury, the way you can do it on a tight timeline is have good teammates in, in CRA and corporate sales, social responsibility. That's the only way it, it's made possible, Mark. I mean, we're not, we're, that's not blowing smoke. It, it, it's truly key just because of, of this type of, of bond and it was new to Truist. Um, you really need good core teams that will help you along. The bond was, uh, I kid around, issuing the bond even in a volatile market was the easy part. Um, working alongside Tory's team and Anthony's team throughout those weeks, developing the framework and feeling confident that we can stand toe-to-toe up there, th- that's that's the work. So compliment well, I'm, to I'm, I'm going to give, give Ozzy a plug, right? You got to have the subject matter expert that can – get it done correctly and provide that framework, right? Uh, that's very important in this process. So hats off to you, Augie. So I'll come in on the, on the um, practical and practical and, and sort of anchor around three themes. One would be alignment and making sure that you are aligned as an organization in the pursuit of something like this. Two, as Anthony and Augie have both said, partnership, 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 um, and subject matter expertise. And the third would be to really start with the end in mind. So oftentimes when you set sail on something new, you know, if we're tracing through the alphabet, we've got an A done, now what's B and C? Um, but really for things like this, and I would say ESG uh, events in general, you kind of have to really look hard at where do you want to be and almost work backwards. Um, so those best practices practices, you know, making sure that you've you've built in time for third-party review um, and all of those uh, channels that make sure that you are walking the talk in the right way from a governance perspective. Um, You have to think about that that end while you're building from the beginning. And maybe they don't have to do it in the middle of a major merger. (laughs) I mean, that, that had to be a wrinkle for you guys, right? This was announced pretty shortly after after your after your merger was announced, right? I imagine that's that's an added layer of challenge. Did how did you yeah. deal with the, the merger impact, Anthony? When you say how do we deal with it, can you clarify that? Well, I mean, I imagine <laughs> it's a huge undertaking, and then you've got to bring people uh, from you know from both legacy banks together to 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 come around it. I imagine that's even even more strain 
than you might see in a normal context where you're working with people that you're used to working with and, you know, the teams are fairly established. Yeah, it, it Any tips for surviving of, that kind of process, I guess. Would be it, my it creates layers of risk, but when you are approaching as one team, so we're coming together or have come together as Heritage, BB&T, and SunTrust, and now we are Truist, right? And that has its own opportunities within it, uh, but, you know, it just adds another layer of challenges that you have to operate through, but that shows how strong the team is that we were able to get it done and still deal with integration, merger, and all the pressures of operating out of two different systems and bringing those systems together. We were able to get this done with uh, the expertise of a, a Augie and a Tory. I would also add that this is part of um, what the, the merger was supposed to do. And so the power and the leverage that we have to issue a bond of this size would not have happened if we remained, uh, you know, as we were, number one. And number two, you know, when I think about some of the um, moves that the company uh, made, thoughtful moves um, around our Truist Cares initiative during the pandemic, um, how we cared for our teammates, communities, and clients, all of the things that we were able to do were really underscored by the strength of the merger itself and the capacity and, and power and uh, resources that we had as a part of the merger. So, you know, the last thing I'll say is, is sometimes, you know, um, it's when things are a little chaotic is when you can do your best work uh, because you don't, you, you don't get lost in the details because you're really, you know, and urgently focused on, on the outcome. That's that's fantastic. Um, I know we're we're closing in on the end of our time. I wanted to see if you had final tips for listeners in this area. And I, I don't know, Vanessa. Let me. Do you? I know you've worked with other clients and financing issues. Any practical tips for companies maybe beginning to go down this road towards some kind of ESG or sustainability uh, financing? Yeah, I don't know that I would have any tips in that regard. Um, but I did just want to say, you know, about the merger. As you were speaking, I was just thinking that, that, yeah, I mean, it seemed evident from the outcome when I first heard about it that this was going to be a focus. And so it's just really exciting to see that you've been able to make it happen this quickly. It's great. Any any final final words or tips? Let's just, we'll just go around. Augie, any any tips for, for folks trying to replicate uh, your accomplishment here? Yeah, I'd look, we began we began the call by complimenting kind of how how good the teammates are and, and what the corporate DNA is and and our, our commitment with the community benefits plan. That's the advice, Mark. I mean, if there's one lesson I I personally learned, um, even doing benchmark calls with other other peer issuers, you know, people that wrote the ESG standards, knowing your eligible assets, knowing what you're good at, and then starting from the bottom up and working the the bond to Tori's point was was the end goal, but but working through what we were good at and what we were made of, and that's our social commitment, you know, for many decades, that really made it much more um, of a of a an achievable task. So um, start with what what your core competency is as an institution. Terrific. I don't know. It may be hard to add to, but uh, Tori, anything else you want to add to, to, to Augie's summation? Just what he said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. Anthony, anything else to add in? Now I'm just going to end on what our purpose is, and I want the listeners to really understand what this means based off of what we just did with this ESG bond, right? To inspire and build better lives and communities. Let that sink in, and it lets you know why we uh, took this effort on. 
Yeah. And I do think it, it really is impressive. And Anthony, you went through the numbers at the beginning, the huge financial commitment Truist has made to communities. And, you know, in this very concrete bond, you know, it, it is very impressive. And, I, I, you know, as a community member, I thank you guys for uh, for the work. I think it makes it a better place for all of us to live. And I hope sets a standard that uh, other folks are inspired to, to follow and uh, do further great work on their own. And hopefully we've given them some tips in this podcast uh, to get there. So... I think and oh, I by was. the way, Mark, you, you got it right in the end. It's Anthony, not Tony. I lost that yeah. 25 years ago. So right. You. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, at least I can learn. <laughs> thank you so much for having us today. We really yes, appreciate thank it. You. Thank you. It's, it's an absolute yeah, pleasure. All right. Now, this, this was great. Um, again, if anyone's listening, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to this podcast at our website, WombleBondDickinson.com or on iTunes, Google Play Store, or SoundCloud. If you have questions about this episode or comments or ideas for future episodes, you can contact me at my email address or on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been the In-House Roundhouse. See you at the next station. In-House Roundhouse is a production of Womble Bond Dickinson. Brian Ewing is our producer, and Robert Daughtry is our audio engineer.